this podcast is an interview with the Conservative candidate for the 2019 general election in the St Albans constituency. You can hear the other major party candidates in other podcasts at radioverulam.com slash election. Joining us now is the Conservative candidate for St Albans constituency, Anne Main. Anne was first elected to Parliament in 2005 and re-elected at the 2010 general election with an increased majority. Anne has served on three cross-party select committees, chairs four cross-party groups including the APPG for the Prevention of Plastic Waste and chairs committees of the House as a member of the Speaker's panel. Born in 1957 in Cardiff, Anne graduated with an honours degree in English from Swansea University. After gaining a postgraduate certificate in education, Anne moved into the London area where she taught English and drama at an inner London comprehensive. In 1978, Anne and Stephen married and three children followed. Stephen sadly died of cancer aged 34. In 1995, Anne married Andrew, an IT director, and she has since had a fourth child, a son named Alexander. Anne Main, welcome. Morning. Uh, so tell us a bit about the constituency and your connection to the area. Uh, the constituency goes from Junction 20, which some people don't realise, all the way up to Junction 22. So I encompass villages as much as the city of centre itself. And there's a broad range of issues that affect St Albans. Particularly what's affecting St Albans is business rates, and I'm pleased that Andrew Ledsom's announced something on that this week, but uh, also the ability to get on the housing ladder. We are the in the top 20 most expensive cities to live in, and you need 13 times the national wage to be able to afford a mortgage here. So it's really unaffordable for young people. So we do need to develop more housing, and we need to develop them in a sustainable and sympathetic manner. So people getting on the housing ladder is becoming increasingly pressing. It is no good just having a city made up of people who have very expensive well-paid jobs in London if we can't get young people and blue-collar workers living here. So in areas that are struggling to um, find homes, I think we've got to look sustainably at, at sites such as the uh, Radlett Rail Freight site, as the proposition goes. That would be a dreadful site. That's a campaign I've been running since 2008, and I do think it's time that this planning application was rescinded. It's a huge site that will be blighted by traffic um, coming in and out on the roads. There's no motorway access. Residents will be unfortunately seeing a 24-7 operation going there, which will mean that there'll be interference to uh, the train pathing services and to de indeed potentially our commuters. Schools are a big issue in St Albans. The reason many people come out from London to live here is we have great schools, but they have been struggling with money. And um, I uh, brought in with the fairer funding campaign to the need for more funding for our schools. And I regularly meet with the head teachers. And I'm pleased to say that not only has there been an uplift in schools nationally, but St Albans will be having some of the bigger uplifts in their, um, in their funding, which is great. Why is it that your government hasn't funded St Albans schools enough? It's not a case of not funding St Albans schools enough. There is actually a Barnet and funding formula which makes it, if you are in a high-value property area and you have relatively good health outcomes overall, these are the way that funding formulas are calculated. And it does mean, therefore, in areas like St Albans where people are 
not everyone, I accept it's not everyone, are relatively affluent with high house prices and good, um, and, and good education qualifications that quite often we do very badly. Now, that masks the fact that in areas um, of St Albans, we have multiple indices of deprivation. So in Fleetville, which is just down the road from this studio, we have areas where there have been real struggles for certain communities to get access to services. So, so I am pleased that that funding formula has been addressed. That so has been making the difference. OK, so the formula has been addressed yeah. now, but it took a long time. Why did it take so long? Uh, well, uh, to be quite frank, it's something that we've all been talking about from governments, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. It's hard to get the funding right because there's always going to be winners and losers. So some people would be arguing in other areas now that somewhere like nice leafy St Albans, as they see it, with good house prices, shouldn't be having an above average increase. Whereas I know for an absolute fact that retention of, of staff here in schools is very difficult, that people pay uh, have to pay good wages to stop all their staff um, going off down to London and getting the London waiting. It is very very difficult in St Albans to make the formula work when there's such pressure on our schools for people wanting to use them. So it, there's winners and losers. I can tell you now, there are other places in the country not happy that St Albans has had that uplift, but it very much was needed. So why are there losers? Why not just put more money into education? It's the future of our young people. Why is the government not putting more money into education so that there aren't losers? Well, the government is putting a massive amount more money in, in education. But and there I, are still losers, right, um, out of this formula? Losers in the new formula. So there still will be a minimum of £5,000 at secondary school level and 3700 at primary school level. But I say losers, the losers being that the formula favoured some areas more than others. And unfortunately for St Albans, we always seem to be losing out in that formula. So they will be regarding St Albans as having had a particularly beneficial uplift. But I have been arguing for it because as the fair funding campaign came through St Albans and indeed many teachers were arguing the, the model that we had was not sustainable and was disadvantaging areas like St Albans. So what about the National Health Service? Um, got, could what, I just finish, yeah. though? I mean, we do seem to have moved off the local issues. We've gone on to national ones. And well, the local I'm just issues, trying to come on um, to the National yeah, Health Service and the local issues there. We certainly will come on to the National Health Service because I'm pleased to say St Albans City and District Hospital is going to have a massive uplift. But don't forget, we have in my villages areas like um, Smallford that are very, very concerned about the bromate plume, which is work I've been doing. And as I say, Park Street, the rail freight. And we also have businesses very concerned about the loss of office space because it's always worth turning properties into homes. So there are many issues in St Albans, and I don't think we can look at just one thing. The health service is a good story to tell. We had Matt Hancock here the other week. St Albans is really going to be benefiting from additional funding, and I'm really pleased to say that that's something we've been working on for quite some time. Most of your constituents, if they dial 999 and are taken to accident and emergency, they will go to Watford General Hospital, where accident and emergency is rated as needing improvement. How do you feel about that? All of my constituents who need to go to um, a, an acute services hospital will go to Watford, as I'm sure you will know, um, because the A&E services are at Watford. They do need improvement, and indeed there's going to be a massive £400 million uplift in improvement there, and Matt Hancock was visiting them the other day um, to sort of see what was going to be done. It is difficult because the model we have for hospitals now means that we cannot have acute services dotted all around in small facilities. They are going to be in the much bigger facilities and they have got to serve several hundred thousand people, not just a local area. So there will have to be one big hub hospital and 
all of the modelling, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with the way the modelling is because people in St Albans would like the A&E to be here. What I'm saying is the modelling that has been done by West Hearts Hospital Trust and indeed the consultants wish to have the A&E facility still at Watford. And if that's the decision that's being taken, I do not wish to have the bid process interrupted and therefore we will lose that funding uplift that will transform St Albans Hospital and transform form Watford Hospital. And you're not in favour of a new hospital for the area, which has been talked about a number of occasions, but never funded. You're not in favour of that. And that's not the way to put it. I'm not in favour of it. I have to look and have been involved in every single... So you are in favour of it, Can I finish this point? I'm not saying I'm not in favour. If someone wants to give me a brand new hospital, I'd love it. But the reality is every single consultation and remodelling that's been looked at, that they say the funding does not stack up. Now, a bid process had to go in and the bid process has gone in for a refurbishment and uplift of the hospitals. If we were to be looking at a new model, we're going to be kicking the can down the road several years. The hospital at the moment is not ideal, but will be hopefully state of the art when it's been refurbished. If we were to have a new hospital, the whole consultation process would take years. This, When I first got elected in 2005, a new hospital was being uh, promised for Hatfield. It didn't happen. This new hospital model simply hasn't got the funding associated with it to deliver it. Therefore, the second best option, potentially, as I see it, is to ensure we have as top-grade um, facilities at the current hospitals that we have. An awful lot of the discussions we seem to have around politics are about funding and the money that's available. Um, it seems like there's a lot more money available all of a sudden. Now we're having a general election, 100 billion extra public spending uh, promised by Sajid Javid. The Labour Party's promising a bit more. Um, where, where's this money coming from? Well, for those of us who've um, been elected for quite some time, um, we will remember that the Labour Party and, and indeed their ministers, when they left office in 2010, left a note saying all the money's gone. And that is an absolute fact. The reality is, is this this government um, under David Cameron and indeed under Theresa May and now Boris Johnson has been paying down and increase, uh, paying down some of the debt that we've had and increasing the productivity of our country. 1,000 new jobs have been delivered every day since 2010. More people in work, more people contributing, and therefore this this fiscal prudence that has gone on means that now we have a time to start putting money where it is needed. No one's disputing it's needed, but unfortunately when the economy is broke and someone has spent all the money, there is absolutely no way that investment could have come forward. Now we're looking forward, hopefully, to being able to ease off on the austerity and actually look forward to investment. And I'm pleased that that has been delivered as a result of Conservative government. So you'd agree with the Labour Party that, that we can borrow money and we can invest more? I don't agree with much that the Labour Party has to say, frankly. Any party that wishes to be nationalising half of our industries, including BT, shows to me that they haven't left the old model which has run our country into the ground, particularly in the 70s, like when I was a young person. I have to say there's very little I agree with the Labour Party on. What I think we do all agree is we need top-class services, including top-class hospitals, top-class schools. And I think the only way to do that is by having someone who can actually manage the economy and deliver jobs and prosperity across the country. And you're planning to reduce taxes, so the money is not coming from tax, is that right? Uh, the models always show, actually, that if the tax burden is gauged to be just right rather than punitive, actually what happens is more money comes in. So the taxes that are being done, and I'm sure you will realise if you've looked at this, is actually now we've lifted people out of paying income tax. It took a Conservative government to actually mean that people earning a modest £12,500 didn't actually have to pay tax. Um, the taxes now are going to be 
directed in such a way to promote business, promote and stimulate the high street and ensure that we keep a model where we're people are paying their fair amount of taxes without actually um, ruining the cash cow that's generated uh, affluence for this country. Let's come on to the environment and the climate emergency. The local councils declared a climate emergency. Do you agree there is one? I think certainly is. And I think one of the emergencies is, is that we all of us have got addicted to live, living in a very unsustainable manner. Um, and we are going to have to make some tough choices. I chair the all-party parliamentary group for the prevention of plastic waste. And I also chair the all-party parliamentary group for sustainable textiles. Every time we wash our clothes, small amounts of plastic are going into the environment, are going into our watercourses, or indeed even going into our soil and we are ingesting large amounts of plastic. We are having to think about what we do. Now, I've been working with local companies, including looking at Tesco's and behind the scenes, seeing what, what products can be brought into play and how much packaging can be reduced. But when we look at where plastic is, we have plastic carpets, we have plastic clothing by um, having fleece clothing and, and, and anything with the word poly in it is particularly bad. And as a result, we've all got addicted to plastic in a way that has just been an explosion. So we're going to have to look at lifestyle choices and we're going to have to look at the way we are prepared to make sacrifices to ensure that we have got um, control over trying to bring back a balance to our environment. Isn't it really true, though, that we have to go further than that? Um, plastics is, is one issue, but in fact, don't we have to stop being such a consumerist society if we're actually going to stop consuming the Earth's resources at an unsustainable rate? Isn't that the case? I think you're absolutely right. And um, all of us will be going probably into an absolute orgy of buying things for Christmas. And we do have to think about the amount of clothes that end up in landfill as a result of uh, one-use wearing um, or, or things that are shoddily made or don't last very long. The amount of food waste that we've got also going into landfill, a lot of it. We have air quality management areas in St Albans. There are nine in Hertfordshire and three in St Albans, one being the Peahen Junction. We have over-abstraction of our rivers. Um, there are a huge number of things that we can look at and we've got to start making lifestyle choices and lifestyle changes. So, for example, the expansion that is supposed to be for Luton Airport, up to 33 million passengers, all of which will be um, polluting the atmosphere by having noisier planes going over us. But more importantly, planes are also doing something called tankering. Tankering is where they overfill the capacity on the fuel tanks to ensure that they get the cheapest deal on buying fuel, but a heavier, noisy plane is the result. We have got to look at a myriad of things, and I'm sure that uh, we will all of us have to have some serious discussions about how often we fly, how much we use our car, how many clothes we buy, how much uh, we choose to have as packaging and wrapping around the things that we do. And they're not going to be easy choices. And I think the fact that everybody is buying into this now is, is a real step forward. Yes. Why is it that the government, uh, the government that's been in place for some time hasn't shown leadership on this subject? Why, why is it that now we suddenly have realised that, 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 that this is happening? Why did it take people sitting in the streets? Surely the government understood what was going on here. Why, why wasn't it doing something about it? Um, I would disagree it's taken people uh, sitting in the streets. Well, the government... What has it taken? Because, because it, um, Well, I was just about to explain okay. to you. It hasn't just taken people sitting in the streets. In fact, sitting in the streets and causing businesses to grind to a halt is not the way to tackle it. What it has taken is, is that we are working now to stop having microbeads, which was banned under this government. That is the tiny filaments of plastic that end up in our watercourses, polluting our shellfish and so on. What it has taken is that this government has various green initiatives to do with stopping things like, for example, the iron 
Ivory has now got a ban under here to making sure that we are now moving over to greener technology in terms of our cars and in terms of our businesses being more um, efficient and our houses being built in a more efficient manner. It is never going to be easy and we learn so much more every day. And I just don't think saying a few people sitting in the street has driven the change. I think if you look at the policies that have been brought forward, this government has been one of the greenest governments out and is looking to do so much more by incentivising us to be able to have a greener and cleaner economy. When you're out on the doorsteps, I mean, a big issue in this area, obviously, has been Brexit and across the country. When you're out on the doorsteps and talking to someone, the majority of your constituents, by quite some margin, who voted to remain, how do you explain your position on the European Union? I explain my position by saying I'm a huge respecter of democracy. Uh, When we were uh, all of us looking to make our choice about whether we leave or remain, I indeed was standing in the centre of St Albans with Conservatives for Remain and Conservatives for Leave. I happened to vote Leave and I was one of uh, 17.4 million people who did and I respect the fact that other people didn't. But we were given a binary once-in-a-lifetime choice. And for many people, uh, the fact that this has now been turned into a political football where you now have to... Uh, pick a particular party as being one of leave or remain and you are seeking to overturn, revoke, deny, cancel a vote where the biggest participatory um, uh, vote was ever happened I think is, is really worrying for the future of our democracy. We gave the public a choice and the government must deliver on that choice in the best way possible with a deal. And I believe the only way to do that is with a Conservative government. I know people take it as an issue in St Albans that I declared how I voted. But what I do declare is the fact that not one party, not one party said that they would cancel the vote. That is not democratic. And indeed, the country where other parts voted huge amounts to leave will, will find it absolutely outrageous that we do not deliver when we... Uh, on on the decision, I not once before um, we had the vote was ever campaigning one way or another. But given the choice, I made my choice clear and I told people how I voted. I think now to say that people are going to change their their stance and revoke when nobody ever said that, not once did I hear that in a political campaign, I think is really damaging for democracy. So I support democracy. And if the vote had gone the other way, I would have respected that vote and gone back to the position I had, which was having my particular views, but I didn't do anything about them. Now we have turmoil being caused by people who wish to suddenly decide to overturn what 33 million people were encouraged to do. Why bother coming out to vote if people actually then turn around and tell you, do you know what, we're just going to cancel it? When's it more important to pursue what you think is right and what the country as a whole marginally thinks is right, uh, rather than your own constituents' wishes? That's not what you always do, is it? When does that happen? I think... Um, probably I I don't wish to sound as if I'm being disrespectful by saying it was a countrywide vote. At no point were anyone ever asked to support what their constituency um, decided and say, well, that is the way from now on you will vote. But if that had been the case... If that had been the case, then overwhelmingly the number of members of parliament who would have been obliged to vote to leave would have been significantly increased instead of what we had was the number of members of parliament who were actually trying to bring about Remain. So we had a mismatch between what MPs themselves wished to do and what their constituency added up to. So I have always put St Albans first, but this was a national decision and my honour to commit to giving uh, you know, the result 
that this national decision made is, I believe, paramount. If the decision had been to remain, I would have not have agitated to try and have a different result. I would have supported that. And I just feel that we need to look very closely ourselves. People are trying to uh, manipulate voters thinking that they can have just a cancellation of this. If another government is elected and if another government decides to go forward with some sort of alternative, it will probably be a Labour government and it will be a Labour government that then will go back and renegotiate a deal, a deal that they have no intention of carrying out, a deal that they will then put the British people with Remain as an option. For those people that were only ever asked for Remain or to leave, suddenly we have a very, very in unsatisfactory leave option and remain option. And I think that that is not fair or right when you have not honoured the first referendum. So it's going to be a difficult time. I sincerely hope that all of us look to our consciences and say, democracy-wise, we need to deliver. If we don't, what what price is it worth having anything put through your letterbox in this election if you can't believe it? And just very briefly, I'd just like to give you the chance to uh, tell us why you think you and the Conservatives are the right choice for the electors of St Albans. I would hope that my track record of nearly 14 and a half years now will show that I do give St Albans a very strong voice, both on schools, on funding, on, on housing, on local issues. And I've helped thousands of residents. I don't pay the party system in terms of knocking my opponents, although I do scrutinise policy very, very heavily. And I think that a Conservative government offers the security of knowing that we will be leaving with a deal. It offers security to businesses to know that the economy will be managed. And it offers the investments into schools and hospitals that we need. And I believe I'd like to carry on doing the job that I've been doing. And my record speaks for itself that I've worked very hard on behalf of St Albans. And if I'm honoured again to be their MP, I will serve them just as hard again. Anne Main, Conservative candidate for the St Albans constituency. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. You can find more Radio Verulam podcasts at radioverulam.com slash podcast and support our podcasts at radioverulam.com slash donate.